Hey, good morning, everyone. I am Ryan Wolt, and welcome to the season four premiere of Roast West Coast, the coffee podcast that brings you the stories of coffee professionals and entrepreneurship and coffee education, and occasionally, okay, always, pretty much every time, manages to find a tangent or two to follow which is perfect for this episode, which will feature an interview with Danny Riggins of Altrea Coffee and Tea in San Diego. We delve deep into her journey to unexpectedly opening her own cafe after years in the industry. I had to ask her to explain how she could become a roastery owner unexpectedly because that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And in a few minutes, she'll fill in those blanks. And in what will be a theme this season, we talk a bit about the mental health needs of entrepreneurs, business owners, and hospitality workers in particular as we follow her journey forward through coffee. Before I go any further, I am obligated to tell you that there is a newsletter that goes along with this show. You can subscribe to it at roastwestcoast.com. This show is always offered for free. The newsletter is also free. But if you decide you like what you hear and what you read, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. The annual subscription breaks down to about 3 bucks a month, which isn't too bad for the many, 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 many hours of content I'll be sending your way this season and beyond. If you are a new listener to this show, you can go back and listen to all of our Coffee Smarter and interview episodes from the beginning on any of your favorite podcast platforms like Apple or Stitcher or even Spotify. If you've been enjoying any part of the first three seasons of this show, please tell a friend. Ratings and reviews are great. Thank you for writing them and for making them. But telling a friend to check out the show is the fastest and best way to help us grow. For now, let's just get into it. I'm going to fill up my coffee mug with some French-pressed Zumbar Coffee Hummingbird Roast, which I've mentioned a bunch of times on this show, because it is just a solid everyday coffee that goes really well with cold morning wave checks and chilly mornings in the podcast booth. The Zumbar Coffee, located in Cardiff, California, was the very first coffee shop that I visited after moving to Southern California eight years ago. I remember getting a little French press when I was there, drawing in my notepad, and thinking, yeah, I feel like I belong here. Whatever you are drinking this morning, I hope that your mug is full too, because it is time for the very first interview of Season 4 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Enjoy this interview with Danny Riggins, founder and head roaster at Altrea Coffee and Tea. Uh, and it's nice to meet you. Thanks for doing the show. I, I'll warn you right now, this is my first episode of season four, so I'm a little rusty. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. I'm just excited to be here chatting with you. Same. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited. I've been a fan for a while and like I was beyond stoked that you asked me to be on here and I usually listen to it when I'm roasting. So. Oh, nice. Well, I appreciate that. It's I didn't know I had a fan. So now I've got I can add that to the <laughs> list. That's super cool. If you wouldn't mind just for the recording, uh, if you could state your name, your business, job title and like your favorite Ninja Turtle. Okay. Um, so my name is Danny and I own Altrea Coffee and Tea and I'm the owner, head roaster, and pretty much your everyday barista, janitor, all those things there. Um, and located in San Diego and man, Ninja Turtles. I haven't, I, the thing that comes to mind is Leonardo. I don't know why. Uh, that might be a dated question i feel like that would be like something anyone my age would know but i don't honestly know if it's like i think they're still on i don't well i'm 36 almost 37 so it's just yeah been a while i think (laughs) well uh danny thank you for being on the show i want to just kind of get some background about you because we've never met i've never even been in your shop um i've tried to come to your shop several times and life just gets in the way yeah but what about you? Where do you come from? And then did you have kind of a first experience with coffee that made you think, yeah, I'm kind of into this. I want to see where this goes. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Rockford, Illinois till I was 18. And then I had enough of that uh, winter. So I headed west when I was 18, kind of tried to pursue school, but I got into coffee 
pretty young, actually. So I started, I did do some schooling, and then I started at the living room in Point Loma when I was 20. (laughs) So kind of old school coffee shop uh, person. And I knew from a young age in my hometown, there was not even Starbucks. Uh, We had a Barnes and Noble that had a coffee shop and it was open until 10 p.m. So my friends and I would, uh, I guess, ride around town and then we would uh, go to Barnes and Noble and read books and drink coffee, you know, stay up late. I just love the vibe of that. So I feel like from a young age, I really just was um, interested in coffee, but I didn't know anything about it. I just knew Frappuccinos, you know? That's that's such a Midwestern experience you just described because I come from a small Midwestern town and Barnes and Noble was where I would go to like hang out as well yeah. if I were not doing something inappropriate in the world. But right. <laughs> uh, if I were trying to do something like good and healthy and constructive, I'd go to Barnes and Noble and uh, read magazines and, and, uh, there was a Starbucks there as well. Um, we didn't have like a real coffee shop that I can recall. We had a diner. I think that's the Midwestern thing. We had diners where it was like, like every town had their own Denny's, but it wasn't Denny's. It was Perkins. like that. It was, yeah, it was like Denny's, Perkins, Al's Cafe. Yeah. There was always one of those. Did you ever consider in the last 18 years going back to the Midwest? At one point, when I was managing a coffee shop in Ocean Beach, we had opened, it was Lazy Hummingbird, we opened up three, I helped the owner open three shops, she's from Michigan, she's kind of letting me take the reins, and we thought about maybe putting one back in the Midwest, but no, I definitely, uh, the other place I thought about was maybe Boulder, but no, I'm definitely a West Coast person now. We're glad that you're here. Yeah. And just just to make sure I'm checking all the boxes, it's been, from the sounds of it, 16, 17 years that you've been a coffee professional. Mm-hmm. But were there ever kind of moments in there where you thought, you know, maybe I should do something else? Because I always had moments where I thought, well, I need to get a real job. I need to get out of hospitality. Yeah. I mean, since I was 14 in the Midwest, I've been in hospitality. It just comes natural to me. But I did work at a hostel at one point and I was, how do I, uh, blend my passion of traveling and coffee. And before I opened my coffee shop, I thought I quit until I can open my own shop, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then very quickly, unexpectedly my shop opened. So I feel like I've never really had time to not be in coffee. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead and I had some questions that I was like thinking I was going to ask you next, but you just said something really interesting, which is your your shop opened unexpectedly. How does the owner of a shop have a shop open unexpectedly? I think you'd be the one who would know the best when it was opening. Yeah. Um, well, I was managing a shop and as a for small business, you can only go so far, you know, before you want to be paid more or the shop can't afford you. So I thought, okay, I quit and I went to Costa Rica and when I was there, someone messaged me and said, Hey, this, uh, coffee shop owner abandoned their shop. Um, they're looking for someone to take over and we thought of you. Um, so I immediately messaged, this was in May of 2018, 19, 19, no, 2018. I'm sorry. COVID has really messed up my time frame. Um, message me. I messaged the landlord and said, I'm in Costa Rica, but I want to, like see the place I came back saw the place and I didn't have any money but I had good credit and I gave the landlord my resume I quickly messaged two friends if I could borrow like five thousand dollars from each a little bit people that I knew had some money and they said absolutely we believe in your dream and like I signed the papers and then the shop needed a lot of work but it was essentially with a few health inspections ready to go. So I, within two months of quitting my job, going to Costa Rica, I opened my coffee shop. <laughs> wow. That's like crazy. Like I, yeah. I feel like I think through everything so much and it takes me so long. And I think through all the negative possibilities and talk myself out of opportunities. And it sounds like you just kind of said, Oh no, this is it. Like I got an opportunity. I'm not going to lose it. Yeah. I knew, I knew that this was it. Like I've been wanting to open my shop for 
10 years, but I worked as a barista. I didn't make any money. How would I do that in San Diego? It just like was really the universe being like, all right, it's like now or maybe never, you know. The fact that you're in San Diego, I think is important too, because there are places where you can open shops with less money. And San Diego in particular, I think for hospitality, in my experience, has is more expensive. I know, um, and it depends on what you want to do, obviously, but like from just just rent and then getting all your health inspection stuff done, it just takes a long time. So you Mm -hmm. may be renting a place for months before it actually opens and and that all adds up. Yeah. We're talking right now in the middle of January and we're kind of seeing we're seeing places that have survived 18 months of the pandemic have gotten help from all over the place, worked through that help and are still struggling, not because they're not necessarily successful, but maybe because our rents are so much higher than you might expect. I mean, Mm -hmm. you got to sell a lot of coffees to pay rent if your rent (laughs) is five or $6,000, Yeah, uh, which it can be in certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to jump back a little bit before your own cafe, which you mentioned Lazy Hummingbird, which was a great place in Ocean mm-hmm. Beach. I didn't know that you worked there. But assuming you worked there and probably other places around before Altrea, what did you kind of take with you from those experiences? What lessons and skills did you bring with you? You mentioned managing a place. How did that set you up to run your own place? Absolutely. Um Jumping back when I first got into coffee at the living room, I walked in and nobody trained me. I was on this espresso machine with some really dark, greasy coffee (laughs) and making white chocolate mochas. And like, so I immediately knew I wanted more. So I started YouTubing, um, like how to make coffee properly. And then I don't know if you remember, there was Java Jones downtown on Ninth and Market. It's where Modern Times is now, I think. It was a coffee roastery. He was based out of Santa Barbara, opened a roastery downtown. And I like... I applied there like once a week because I'd never seen a coffee roaster. So I would ride my bike over there and I would apply and finally I got hired. So that was my first experience in, I would say like second to third wave specialty coffee. It wasn't quite, you know, super specialty yet. So there is when I learned about different roast profiles, even like retail coffee beans, um, how to pull a, a shot of espresso, steam milk, micro microfoam, latte art. The owner there was awesome. He kind of took me under his wing. Like, I think I was probably pretty annoying. Like, I want to learn everything. And everyone there wanted to be a coffee professional. So we, like, would just practice after hours. He would, like, let us be in the shop. And we would practice. And we were really into it. This was, like, 2007. So there wasn't really third wave yet, you know, in San Diego. And unfortunately, 2008, like, the, you know, when everything went downhill. uh, What was it? Housing crash, uh, recession, yeah. Yeah, the recession. So he was downtown renting like $12,000 space. And he owned a Java Earth and uh, PV as well. Uh, he kept it open as long as he could, but ultimately he went out of business. So then I met Danielle, also another Danielle that was going to open up Lazy Hummingbird. And I was the first person she hired. She basically, I had enough experience at that point where she gave me a lot of rain. Like she, I I worked there for a while and then I started traveling a bunch and like experiencing different coffee in like Bali, Thailand, Europe, different places. And I asked her if I could start a pop-up coffee shop on the weekends. And that's when I started using like mushrooms and cacao and maca, like weird stuff in coffee drinks. And I would have live music. So she pretty much gave me free reign. Uh, and then we found a second location at Ocean Beach. And she said, you can put your menu up there, do whatever you want. You're not a partner, but I want you to like succeed. So I think it was my experience in her. She just kind of th- like that started preparing me and how to run things, hire people, um, scheduling, tax, like all of that stuff, back end of the house, basically like an owner. And then we opened up a third location in La Mesa. It was pretty short-lived but the same thing, I ran that. So by that point, I had a lot of years of experience. So I was with Lazy Hummingbird, I think, eight years. And I also worked at a hostel for a little bit. I've, I've always just like been a hustler. I want to travel. So I work two, three jobs, even if I'm working a 40-hour job. But basically, that set me up to run my own shop. 
I know there's been a couple business owners who are like, oh, you haven't been through the whole experience of start, starting your shop, like building it out. But I was there every step of building every single one of those shops. In fact, like I was at Home Depot, I was cutting the, I, I built them with my hands. They were carts, but nonetheless, I've been through that process three different times and dealing with health inspectors. So I did have a little bit easier opening my shop physically, but I've, I have had that experience before, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and then you mentioned earlier, you kind of hit a ceiling where you can't grow any further working for someone else. And and for some, that's like that's like the goal, like to get into that position. And then for others, it's like, okay, no, I want to really put my own name on it and put a name on it that I've chosen. Mm-hmm. And for you, that's Altrea. And I'm wondering, what does Altrea mean? Where did that come from? And, and why did that speak to you as like, this thing that I'm going to live every single day for the rest of my life and in time, because no matter what, that's like a name that you are connected to. Yeah. I had such little time to choose a name, but um, I read this book called the Camino and a lady it's like the, the Camino del Santiago. It's kind of like the Pacific crest trail. You hike this whole thing. So when different hikers and travelers pass each other, they say Altrea to each other, which basically means like, I see you on your journey and I wish you well. And I read that book like, I don't know, five or six years before I opened. And I, I always thought like, that'd be a cool name. San Diego's so transient. People don't live here for very long and or there's so many tourists. And then my love for traveling, I thought it would stick out. So in hindsight, I chose the name really quickly, but I also, now being by SCSU, it really is transient because the students aren't here very long. So journey onward, you know, that's what it means. And I think, yeah, it just kind of fits with my lifestyle as well. You were talking about travel, and I'm just wondering if there was any particular place in the world that kind of stands out to you as like, that was that was the trip that had kind of some life-changing moments for me and, and maybe coffee in particular. Definitely Bali. The coffee scene is amazing. It's very heavily influenced by Australia, which we all know is kind of, I think, leads a lot of the coffee industry in a way, you know. Um, So it's heavily influenced. I mean, I don't know how to explain Bali. It's like um, very laid back, really relaxed, but they do everything so well, so detailed. That was just life-changing in general. I think the people are so kind and so nice. And it's just, you know, good vibes, that that type of, like, there's no worries, you know? And you are just in, like, lush, tropical environment. And that's where I discovered putting uh, coffee in my coconut. <laughs> like, I would drink fresh coconuts every day. And then they don't necessarily, like, have ice all the time. So I would put a double espresso in a cold coconut. And that's one thing that's on my menu. And so I don't, I think it's like that helped me experiment with different things. Like coffee just doesn't have to be black coffee, you know? Well, I'm a black coffee drinker, but I, I kind of love this idea that you are willing to take chances because of an experience that you have. When you said that, I just thought, wow, like that's something I would try, even though it seems so foreign to me having... Yeah. Having done three seasons of this show and having tried maybe a hundred different coffee roasters in the last year, no one else has ever said like, hey, why don't you try this in a coconut? You know, like that's a really unique, unique thing. That's on the menu at your shop. How do you infuse kind of this mission of Journey Onward into the vibe of your store and into your brand? And you mentioned that you're near SDSU. So a lot of students, I would imagine, are coming in. But how do you kind of maintain you know, that feeling that people get when they come through the coffee shop with so much kind of turnover and, and frankly, being in the, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, my shop is like very kind of eclectic in its own. It's like DIY. It's not going to look like some of our bigger small businesses here that have hundred K build outs, you know, but that speaks to like college kids and the type of people you kind of attract the type of people that are in the same sort of lifestyle, I suppose. So I think like my customer service, like I'm very like a vulnerable person or like, I'm like, this is who I am. And same with my employees. We're very personable. We don't really do coffee snobbery. That's, I don't know. We just are very, very laid back. Like we make it feel like home 
And I feel like that's really inspiring to people. And then I live in my van um, and I travel a lot. And I think that's part of my branding. Do you live in your van? And I'm sorry to ask this because <laughs> I'm a, a, a big fan of the van concept and at one time built out a 23 foot bus for a similar purpose awesome but do you do you live in the van because you want to or because you put all your money into the shop and you have free parking i moved into the van shortly after i opened the shop because i wanted to um, my lease was up where i was living and i always wanted to do van life i thought that i would try it and see and then the pandemic happened shortly after that and now i mean it <laughs> it's pretty much by necessity because rents also what like almost doubled in San Diego, but I do do it by choice. I love it. And as much as I can have the freedom to travel is better for my mental health and running my business during a pandemic. Sure. Yeah. I've seen, I've been following your Instagram and I see photos of you guys out in the van and I saw you just came back from a, a van life pride event, <laughs> Yeah, um, which looks super cool. You mentioned that you think the business attracts kind of like-minded spirits um, to the store, but I think the van life does, is is a similar thing. I know mm-hmm. I noticed that if I'm in a campground and I see people with kind of a cool build out, I gravitate towards them. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know why, but I'm less afraid to say, "Hey, what's going on here?" <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you do that when you're out traveling or when you're out in the van, say at Joshua Tree or somewhere, uh, with coffee? I mean, I I, th- I feel like when I see someone making coffee, like I want to go talk to them. Totally. Yeah. I think it's like my two passions, being nomadic and coffee mixed together. So I absolutely do. I was driving down Sunset Cliffs the other day going to watch the sunset and this guy has, or no, maybe it was in the morning. He has a van and he had a setup outside in a parking lot, coffee and muffins or something. So I pulled in and talked to him for a while and he's just starting out as an entrepreneur and I just try to inspire him, but also be inspired by like, you know, that's so cool. And he lives in his van as well. So I was like, wow, like it doesn't matter where you start, you know, you're just putting yourself out there. That's so funny. Uh, we started a business out of the bus that we built out and uh, how we started when we were still like in the beginning phases and learning we spread the word by making coffee at Palisades Park in Pacific Beach and giving out donuts. Awesome. Just getting people to talk to us. So I think that's like a, I don't want to say low barrier, but it's such a cool, like simple way to communicate with other people. Yeah. It's really interesting that you have such a nomadic uh, bent and also have this fixed retail store that really would have to ground you to a location. Mm -hmm. Is that something you thought about kind of the, the duality of that? Well, like I said, I didn't plan on necessarily living in my van. Like I thought, I mean, I know it takes a couple of years to make a profit, but COVID really threw a wrench in that. But now, yes, I I think um, brick and mortar is extremely hard. I, I'm realizing like, obviously I'm for like minimum wage being increased, but with the cost of rent, with the pandemic, I'm by SCSU, the students are gone. Like, how am I going to keep a brick and mortar alive? Like, I have to replace a grease trap. The city says like four grand. And it's, uh, it's just like, it's not like it was 10 years ago and rent was cheaper and minimum wage was $8 and you're selling coffee. It's, re- it's like really difficult. So, I mean, my plan essentially my backup plan is to get a small warehouse and do more online and grocery stores because I need a backup plan. Um, I'm seeing, as you know, coffee shops that you would think would never go out of business going out of business. And it's like devastating to see that. So I like, I'm, I think like, I want to be on the road as well. So essentially if I don't have a brick and mortar anymore and I have a warehouse at some point, I can travel and share my coffee with people. Like I thought about pulling up in front of national parks, you know, and uh, doing pour overs or something. I'm not really sure. It's a strange time. And I'm really trying to reevaluate like how to move forward right now. It's really, it's really weird times, essentially. There's all kinds of articles in the paper about how everyone's quitting their job, but then none of those address that if you're your own boss, you can't really quit your job other than to give up your business and this right. part of you. 
you know, or, or change it completely. And, and that's kind of an emotional variable that just, I think is, it's not, doesn't make for an easy story in mm-hmm. a paper, uh, but it's certainly out there. Uh, when I talk to entrepreneurs anyway, mm-hmm. talking about a future warehouse roastery at some point, it doesn't sound like you plan on, on giving up coffee in any way. Yeah. But what's kind of your your philosophy when it comes to roasting coffee or sourcing coffee? Where is kind of your go to location in the world if you're you're looking for coffee? Anything you can tell us about your your kind of your plan on that side of things? Yeah, um, I still feel new to roasting. I've been roasting for a year. Uh, I did have a little random experience, but so there's it's really hard to go to cuppings right now, you know, uh, because of COVID. So. I am kind of blindly getting samples and then trying to match that with roasting. But right now, you know, I have a Honduras, Colombia, Guatemala, and then when it's in season, Ethiopia, just depending on, yeah, like the season, I guess. So I'm learning all about sourcing. I've read every roasting book, sourcing book. I'm basically teaching myself. It's um, interesting, too, because it's like as a roaster, you don't really want to reach out to other roasters because it seems kind of, you know, like secretive in a way, but uh, Tyler from Tired Eyes, and he's been really helpful to me. Um, And then I think Pablo at ICT has been super helpful in helping me source coffee. I do get all organic coffee, and I'm trying to work with all woman co-opt coffee, you know, something like that. So the goal is to go to source, like as soon as I can travel and go to the farms and really work with like a couple specific farms if I can do it financially. But right now I'm like really learning the roasting process, trying to dial in, getting it super consistent. I have a, I roast on a San Franciscan, it's, you know, six kilos. So I'm roasting five pounds at a time. It's hard to get consistency. It's propane as well. So it's not natural gas. So that I've learned throws in an extra, you know. (laughs) Yeah, an extra wrench for sure. That consistency, which is so important, but that also could mean that you're finding you're getting surprises to some extent that maybe you weren't yeah. expecting, but turn out to be a blessing in disguise. So to speak. Yeah. And like, honestly, people telling me they like my coffee or they've seen my progress. And we, I do have like, you know, people who drink coffee all over, you know, that have subscriptions or drink, you know, anywhere from Bird Rock, Lofty, Scrimshaw, you know, all the different places. And they're like, your co- you know, we like your coffee too. Or like, it's just as, you know, whatever. So that's good to know because it's very scary to p- put yourself out there. It's no different than like an artist putting their work out. It's something that you, you created. You, I mean, it started as, it started as one thing and now you're giving people something else. Yeah. That can be terrifying. I feel that way every single time I do one of these interviews. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's like, who is going to tell me if my coffee is bad or good? You know, like customers for the most part, like it's like coffee industry people. That's scary because I think as roasters or owners or even baristas, we get used to like the coffee we drink every day or that we like. We develop like a certain taste. So it's like how who's going to tell me that this isn't good or bad? I don't know. It's like strange, if that makes sense. A feeling of like, I don't know. Sure. Finding that network of people, to be honest with you. I think I worry about that. I worry about that with this show, but other projects too. I wrote a a book recently and I didn't know, you know, will my wife tell me that she likes it, you know, be nice (laughs) or my mom or my mother-in-law actually only gave it four stars out of five. So that was, I appreciated that honesty. Yeah. We're talking a little bit about like connecting with other roasters and other coffee people. And you mentioned a few, but as a woman who is running a business and in what I, I, I believe to be a fairly male dominated industry, although I have interviewed quite a few women entrepreneurs mm-hmm. on the show, do you find that that impacts your ability to go out into the world or do you think that gives you an advantage or how does, how does that, if at all, impact what you're doing? I think in my like head when I'm, when I was first starting, it really impacted me. Like, there's not a lot of women roasters here in San Diego and the ones are there are pretty seasoned or they have a lot of tools to be successful in roasting and it's like support, you know, um, for the roasting for. So 
I try to find people that I know are approachable, like that are friends in the industry, you know, to talk to. And in my head, it's like super intimidating. And I don't think because I'm a, I'm a woman that necessarily holds me back, but in the past, it's been bothersome. That's very male dominated. And it seems like kind of like a club, but I really have to get past that. And like, is that in my head or is this true? And another part is like in my head, I'm like, well, there's so many rich white dudes that own coffee shops, you know, that pop up and have like, you know, a hundred to a hundred thousand dollar buildups out of nowhere. And it's, but then I'm like, why does it matter? Like, why do you know, like, why do I think that way? I guess it's, it's like, um, you want to be a business professional, but you're not really seen that way, but you know that you are, if that makes sense. I think I struggle with, yeah, like being seen in the coffee community. I don't, I don't really feel like we really do, but like, why do I need the coffee industry's approval? I guess if that makes sense, like my community and my customers really love us. So I, th- I don't know if that makes sense, but it's also COVID. So I think people are just like staying in their own lane, you know, and like, <laughs> like sticking to what they already know, I guess, if that makes sense. Sure. I think absolutely. I'm talking to you from my closet, which is where I've been through this whole show. I thought season four would be in person, like, sitting across from each other at a table, having a cup of coffee. And then when Omicron came around, I just was like, you know what? Like what's one, what's a few more months to stay home. Yeah. But that does like, I have to actively work at exploring and meeting new people, which I get to do through this show. And I'm very mm-hmm. grateful for it. I get to meet people like you, like, yeah. but if I didn't have this, I would probably just buy the same cup of coffee from down the street <laughs> or the same thing and never talk to anyone And there are other things that I'm passionate about, beer being one of them. Um, I write a beer column here in San Diego, but I feel completely out of the loop because I'm not necessarily putting that same effort into it. And it is exhausting during Mm -hmm. COVID. Yeah. Um, We're all exhausted. And it's fair to say that you're exhausted, but there's another level of it for you because you are running a business and you do have people depending on you. You have employees. Yeah. And I wanted to just ask that, how has being the boss of other people, now that you're not the employee anymore, changed for you? Is that a rewarding experience? Is it difficult? I'm assuming it's all of the above, but yeah, you know, you're able to provide opportunity for people at a time that is, is somewhat tenuous. Definitely. I, like, going into it was going to be like, I'm going to be the boss I always wanted. I'm not, I don't want my employees to feel disposable and I don't want them to feel like they're just making me money. So I've taken the opportunity to be really transparent with my staff um, to also, I work side by side with them when I'm on the floor, I'm their coworker, you know, nobody's in charge per se. Like when we work as a team and that's given like little issue with like I don't have anybody with like attitude problems or um, I don't also run anyone as a manager because I think like if everyone works as a team, like the hierarchy and people want to be the lead barista and the head barista and, you know, it creates tension and separation and they're all family to me. They're all, we're all pretty young and create where if they need anything, they can come to me and I'll have their back no matter what. And then I'm also learning um, to have boundaries too, because I realize that's, especially during COVID, it's very exhausting because everyone has stuff going on. So now I'm learning to to scale back a little bit. So I've been having these conversations with my staff. Hey, I'm, you know, backing off working on the floor so much. I'm going to give you guys a little more responsibility, even emotionally with stuff going on in your life. I can only be there for you so much at the moment because I'm also really trying to navigate how to pivot and move forward in my business. So there's so much respect and love for each other. Um, I just recently went through though, like a really, I always had long-term staff. I had a high turnover. It was like when unemployment stopped giving out checks, everyone got jobs and then job hopping. And there's a coffee shops in San Diego that I absolutely love. And they have enough money to, to, I I do pay more than minimum wage as well, but um, to pay more than I can pay minimum wage. So I've been having staff like leave to go work for this company because they can afford to hire, you know, more. And I get it. Like when you're 21 years old and 
you're making $19 an hour starting off making coffee all day, like, why would you want to work for 15 or 16? It's like, the younger generation kind of wants to do how can I make the most and do the least? And that's okay. It's just it's just how it is, you know? Uh, when you said that 19, I just I don't mean to chuckle. <laughs> but my first job, I was paid $2.15 an hour plus tips. <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <totally. laughs> and in the Midwest, you can get away with that. I think they still only pay like 4.35 an hour plus yeah. tips at this particular restaurant I was working yeah. at. If I'm coming to Altrea, which I intend on doing probably before the show airs, uh, I'll confirm that if anyone's listening to the show. What is it that you're you're recommending to somebody new that comes into your shop, or how is it? What is that experience like for somebody who walks in off the street with no concept of who you are? I think immediately, like when people walk in, they're greeted by like the vibrancy of the shop. There's a lot of plants and the eclecticness, and most people when they walk in, they are like while this place is so cute or so homey, I really love it. We have specialty drinks that people are like really drawn to, but I always recommend our cold brew. I've been brewing cold brew since like 2007 or eight before it was popular. And I feel like I've dialed it in. I feel like I'm a pro at cold brew. So I always recommend that. And then if people want to, uh, we also have macadamia nut milk. Like my shop's 99% vegan. We have a lot of vegans that come in. So that's what I pretty much do because it goes good with any of our coffee. You know, it's like gives off that nutty feel that people that that's like easy drinking. You know what I mean? It's not too, too far off. And then our drip coffee, I think is really good as well. I'm 99% vegan too. So that works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like right there, but there's, there's this uh, Wisconsin part of me that won't give up cheese all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's always catching me off guard when, People don't know I'm the owner a lot of the times, you know, and they're like, what's your favorite thing on the menu? And I'm like, man, it's, I, I drink black cold brew, but it's like, it's such a tough question because I have no, I, I don't want to steer anyone the wrong way. But I also think like, I think we have some of the best drinks in San Diego, you know, like on my menu. So, I, you know, and that that's kind of like, sounds egotistical, but I really think, I really, I really think we do. I think you have to believe that if you believe in your product to some extent, you have to think that you are, if not the best, then on par with the best. Like you're giving people something you're proud of. Yeah. And it's fair to say that we're growing in our process and getting better and better and better. But it's also important to be to feel good that like, hey, I feel like I I made someone's day today with a cup of coffee or a drink or or whatever. Or in my case, gave someone an, an OK experience on the show yeah. or you know, they read something interesting that I wrote. We've been talking about a ton of different things. I want to just ask you real quick about working with coffee. You said you've been learning and teaching yourself, uh, reading books, watching YouTube videos. Was there anything that's kind of surprised you about the process of working with coffee that you've, you've kind of uh, learned the hard way, let's say, or you've learned through experience? The biggest takeaway I'm learning about coffee is it when you're in the business of coffee is like, what does the customer like? And that's a tough pill to swallow when you're in, when you want to be super specialty, I think, and you're want to try all these methods, but ultimately I'm learning like the customer loves this and this is what they like and it sells. And when you get too out there, you can kind of lose people. And if you're too mediocre, not good enough, you know, so it's like, experimenting to an extent but also keeping customers happy and also knowing that uh you know it's like you want to do pour overs and you want to do this and you want to buy the best of this and that and like really ultimately if you give a customer a good experience they're going to love your coffee uh, if you give them a bad experience whether it's super specialty they're not going to like it. it you know it all comes down to to that but i think another thing is I've learned like there's necessarily there's wrong ways to roast coffee, but once you kind of have your curve down, there's really no wrong way. It's all experimental, right? It's not bad. So I'm learning like I don't have to roast something like I can experiment with it. It doesn't have to be like exactly set the way I would like I was taught a certain way, but now I can play around with it. And if it doesn't look like, you know, what I think it should look like and it still tastes good, then that's okay too. 
same with with um, you know espresso blends and cold brew. What we think it should taste like, you know, light roast made a big boom in San Diego a while ago, but or medium or you know whatever. But I think like putting out what you think is good and not compare like okay here comparison's the biggest thief of joy, right? Like comparing um, one coffee shop's coffee to another. You know, it's like, you know, you can enjoy enjoy them both. You don't have to compare them in negative or positive ways. That's a great, uh, can you say that quote again? What is uh, it? Comparison is the for joy. Uh, that's such a cool kind of comment. I haven't, I haven't heard that before. I'm going to think on that one for a while. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't cover today that you want people to know about the Ultra experience or about you as, as a coffee professional? I think... Like the main thing is, um, you know, I really just was a barista with a dream and a passion to open my own coffee shop. And I just kept chipping away at it and didn't give up. And you don't have to have a certain amount of finances or backing. Like you can, you can make it work and you don't have to come out of the gate with the most expensive espresso machine. Just start with what you have. I always wanted to roast. I didn't get my roaster till the pandemic. I thought if I'm going to go out of business, I'm going to like and file bankruptcy. Let me go out big time. Like let me finance a coffee roaster and just completely send it. You know, like don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to like take big risks because big rewards, right? I'm already saving a ton of money not buying coffee for eleven dollar a pound. You know. So I, th- yeah, I think the biggest takeaway is like, it doesn't matter where you're at or like what your dream is. I think just keep chipping away. I do think you should know the industry that you're getting into though. I, a lot of people just want to own coffee shops and they've never even been in the industry. I'm like, absolutely not. Like just go enjoy because you really have to know what you're doing, I think, or, or have a lot of money. It's like one of the two. Yeah. Well, that second one sounds pretty good. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last question I kind of ask everyone is when you're out and about, you're getting a coffee, you're going to a different shop or you're traveling in the van. Yeah. What is it that you order for yourself? I get cold brew no matter what, everywhere I go. Even though you think yours is dialed in the best, is it to compare yours to theirs yeah, or is it to just see what other people are doing? It is to compare and to see what other people are doing. The other thing I'll get is drip coffee or double espresso, but hot coffee just doesn't like it doesn't I don't feel good when I drink it that's why mm-hmm. but um yeah it's definitely cold brew because people do some wild stuff brewing cold brew like they'll hot bloom it do, like you know so I'm always interested like what are you doing to get this result <laughs> I'm just imagining you trying some cold brew as you're driving down the highway and going not as good as mine and dumping it <laughs> out the window and I'm sure you don't do that but I kind of would love to see that as like a cartoon. Right. I've, I've definitely been there. And you know, like there's some, there's some coffee shops, like if you're really on the road, like, and you have to go not to a small business, probably like Dunkin' Donuts has the best cold brew. And I hate to say that, but like out of sheer necessity, you know? Yeah. There are certain coffee deserts. I was just traveling through like Northern Arizona and Southern Utah and I could not find a locally owned coffee shop in several towns that we were in or they were there, but they weren't open for like several days at a Mm -hmm. time, which is another part of this pandemic with staffing and making it difficult. Yeah. Just yesterday I was in Vista, California and I had seen a coffee shop on my, my map and I thought, Oh, I'll check that out. And I went there and they were closed at like nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, what's going on today? And it's like, oh, well, they're closed every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they don't have enough staff wow, yeah. to sign up. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's that's kind of like a slow bleed almost, you know, like if you're a coffee shop that's not open every morning, that can be mm-hmm. be, be tough. Danny, I, I want to say thank you for just joining the show and helping me get back into it. And also just for sharing so much about yourself and, and being willing to share, you know, parts of the story with us. I think it's, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot that goes into being an entrepreneur and it sounds like you have really gone through a lot of that, have experienced that and have been willing to share, which not everyone is. So I really yeah, of course. Thank you so much. I really, I enjoyed it for sure. Hey, Roast listeners, Ryan again. 
I really want to express my gratitude to Danny for how open and willing to share she was during that interview. It was my first recording of the new season, my first recording of 2022, and to be honest, I went into it a little bit stressed, a little bit nervous, and a little frustrated by the COVID exposure logistics I had been dealing with. As recently as last fall, I thought I might be transitioning into more in-person shows. But of course, Omicron exploded in December and scuttled those plans. An hour with Danny, and it felt like I was right back on track. It's a great privilege to get to share other people's journeys with you, and it is a great luxury that I can do it from here at home. Honestly, I just keep saying to myself, what a world we are living in. So again, thank you, Danny, for sharing and for helping me get back into the swing of things. As far as my coffee drinking goes, in general, my palate has been slowly working towards enjoying a fruitier cup of coffee. I've always been partial to something a little bit more bitter, filled with dark chocolate and rich flavors. If there is a Sumatra on the coffee list, I'm probably ordering it. But, all of a sudden, the light, fruit-forward coffees seem to keep finding their way into my cup. I'm honestly not sure how that happens. Someone is ordering these coffees, and it's probably me, but I honestly don't remember doing it. My changing palate is one of the biggest reasons that I don't write coffee reviews. For years, I wrote beer reviews, sometimes scathing ones, sometimes applauding ones. But looking back, I don't know that I really feel the same way about the same beers anymore. My tastes have changed, even if the beer hasn't. So for those of you who have been asking, that is why Roast West Coast doesn't do coffee reviews. I also like to just enjoy each cup for the experience that it is. Sometimes it's the best cup of coffee ever. Sometimes it's just a comfortable cup. Sometimes it reminds me of going to the diner when I was too young to hang out in a bar. I'll leave the reviews to the experts. That said, being that it is the first episode of Season 4, I've had a lot of coffee thoughts since we ended Season 3. Starting with single-use coffee machines. Sometimes the Keurig brand, sometimes other, depending on where I've been. I have not been particularly kind to the single-serving coffee concept for a multitude of reasons. Generally, the pre-ground coffees that come in the little cups just don't taste the way I like my coffee to taste, and the waste generated by those cups seems insane to me. That single-serving plastic drives me crazy. However, I had the opportunity to use a reusable K-cup while in Oklahoma. It's just a little mesh cup with a flip-top lid that lets you put your own freshly ground coffee inside the machine, which is then brewed as a single cup of coffee. And I have to admit, the coffee I made in it, a blend from Colectivo Coffee in Madison, Wisconsin, wasn't half bad. And without the plastic waste, I didn't feel so guilty making it. I did not test the temperature of the water or double-check the gram weight of the bean-to-water ratios so it wasn't perfect, but I could definitely see value in the convenience. If there is anyone else out there using the single-serving machine method to make actual good coffee, I want to hear about your experience. And if there are any coffee science nerds, a label I am putting out there with great love and great respect, I'd like to share your perspective on the consistency and quality of coffee being made in one of these single-serving brewers. Reach out to at Roast West Coast on Instagram to connect about it. I also want to take a moment to give a shout out to the team at Young Hickory and their owner Clay. Young Hickory was based in the North Park and East Village neighborhoods of San Diego. They recently closed both of their coffee and beer locations. It was such a great concept, an inviting space, and those communities were better for their presence for the past seven years. They recently put out a statement announcing their closure and inviting the community to come celebrate with them one last time. The full post is on their Instagram, at YoungHickorySD, and we shared it on RoastWestCoast.com. I'm pulling this quote from the middle. Quote, This month we'll be ceasing our operations at Young Hickory. To put it simply, the pandemic has affected us in such a real and fiscal manner that operating is no longer sustainable for us. We survived the circumstances as long as we possibly could, fighting tooth and nail the whole way. Despite our best efforts, the time has come for us to move on. End quote. At the beginning of the COVID pandemic, which roughly coincided with the beginning of this show, I wondered how many businesses would close. That wave of closures never really came, in part due to customers really going out of their way to support small businesses, also in part due to local, state, and federal assistance, 
And finally, in part due to the incredible adjustments small business owners were making on the fly, sometimes daily to stem the impacts of coronavirus. Even in their closing announcement, Young Hickory took the opportunity to encourage us to support other small coffee shops. I'll follow up on that to say, it isn't your responsibility to save your local coffee shop or local brewery or bookstore or nail salon. Everyone is being impacted by this differently. However, if you have the option, I always encourage you to shop local, shop small, and know that those cups of coffee that you buy, those roasted beans, they make a real impact, both fiscally and emotionally, for a lot of people in the coffee economy. And I'm officially off my soapbox. In the podcasting business, I think this is called a transition. Speaking of great small businesses, some of them support this show. Because of them and our listening subscribers, the podcast closet has a fancy new ring light, and it's lined with foam acoustic panels. They are why this show keeps getting bigger and better. Click on the links on roastwestcoast.com to learn more about our newest roast partner, Ignite Coffee Roasters, or Cafe La Terre in Solana Beach, who will soon be opening in Encinitas, California as well. Moster Coffee Company, which is basically everywhere, Coffee Cycle Roasting, who we've teamed up with to offer Coffee Smarter classes, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee, and, don't forget, Roast West Coast, this show, will be at Camp Coffee Company in February, Omicron permitting. Mark your calendars for Saturday morning, February 19th, from 9 to noon. There will be stickers and great coffee, and I'll be interviewing customers to be on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Thank you to those industry partners, as well as Cape Horn Coffee and First Light Whiskey. I got a chance to hang out with the First Light Whiskey team recently and came away really impressed with their desire to dig into the science of coffee and to create a whiskey that respects the craft coffee they are going to be infusing into some small premium batches in the near future. Again, head to RoastWestCoast.com for all of those links and to check out the other coffee content, including some updates and coffee news and coffee education. We have a bit of a new format this season, where we drop both of our episodes on the same day, so you can just keep listening for a Coffee Smarter episode with Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting, where I ask all of the questions that you've been sending me on Instagram. Thank you all for listening. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Brian Wolt. I hope that this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. Please always tip your baristas, now more than ever, and be sure to drink good coffee.